A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. A couple of years ago during the Olympics, I ran across two very different articles that I think kind of present for us some very obvious parallels within the Christian life. The first one was from uh, a joke news outlet, and the article started this way. Well, this is probably the most heartbreaking story of the entire Rio Olympics. When Samantha Bennett first started thinking about gymnastics at the Olympic Games in Rio, she probably imagined herself standing at the top of the medal podium, receiving the gold medal for the women's individual all around. She probably imagined the crowd chanting her name after she completed a flawless floor routine. Unfortunately, Bennett's Olympic dreams were tragically dashed when she failed to spend her entire life training to become really good at gymnastics. This is the sort of devastating setback you hate to see happen to an Olympic hopeful. The second one was not a joke. It was this really inspiring video uh, on Atlantic Monthly's site called Fencing While Black about a young African-American girl named Nzinga, and her mother named her that to name her after a warrior queen to give you the idea of the kind of personality this girl has. She's competing in the Olympics for fencing, and she was taught by a man named Peter Westbrook. Peter Westbrook started fencing at a time when the New York Athletic Club did not allow African Americans uh, membership. And he became so passionate about it as a way to keep inner city kids focused and teach them discipline that he has devoted his entire life to teaching others fencing, and the video is almost like a Rocky Balboa montage. 
And Zinga is running and lifting weights. She's fencing. She's pouring sweat. And you hear her voice overlaid against all of these clips. She says, fencing's always on my mind. It can be hard to find motivation to do this every day. I saw people in my club going to the Olympics. I saw how hard they were training. I'm a product of all of Peter's love. These are the two pathways before us, my friends. We can sit back and dream about what it would be like to do that stunning floor routine, never once stretching our hamstrings. Or we could be like in Zynga. The section of the letter to the Hebrews that we just heard read is packed full of rich theological truths that we could spend months unpacking. But I want to just give you a handful of ideas that I think if you spend time meditating on this week, we'll see, we'll begin to change our lives and our life together. So here's the first idea. You're in a race. Whether you realized it or not when you became a Christian, whether you understood as much when you were plunged into the waters of baptism, when you placed your faith in Christ, it is not just that he came to dwell in you and become your special friend, though that is a deep and profound theological truth, but you also became incorporated into him and you have been set out on a pilgrimage path. You have been placed on a pilgrimage of faith that will require endurance beyond anything you've ever imagined. You can't be like that woman from the joke article and dream about performing in the Olympics while you're sitting on the couch dipping Cheetos and mayonnaise. I don't do that, just for the record. <laughs> Anymore. You're already in a race. You're already in a race. That's maybe one of the most important things that we need to realize as baptized people. We're already in a race. But you're also not alone. Just like Nzinga began to look around her fencing club at those who had gone before her, those who had endured unto the end and come away with the prize, and she was challenged to follow in their footsteps. That's kind of like how we are, but unlike an Olympic competition, you are not competing against others. This race is not a race of competition, it's a race of endurance, and you are part of a pack of pilgrims. No, it's actually stronger than that. You are part of the same body. There is a great cloud of saints, all of whom have passed on this road before us, all of whom are present to us in Christ. The writer of Hebrews spends a breathtaking chapter going through the lives of all the Old Testament saints, all those that while they were living had never experienced the reality of Christ incarnated, crucified, risen, and ascended. Last week I told you some stories about more modern saints, and we don't have time to retell the stories of Moses and Joseph and David and Rahab and Isaac and Enoch. But Hebrews 11 ends by saying, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. You are not alone. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are being made perfect in your faith. The race is a corporate race, not an individual race. You are not alone, which means in a negative sense, what you do doesn't just affect you. If you pretend like you're not in a race, that doesn't just impact you, it impacts the entire body. What you do with your body, your time, your money, your prayer life, your faith, it ripples out into the whole body of Christ. You are not alone. That also means in a positive sense that when you grow weary, you have a cloud of saints pulling you onward. Those that have gone before and those that are around you right now. Not only that, but you get to be that voice of cheer and encouragement for those around you who may have grown weary. You're not alone. You're in a race. You're not alone. But you're probably weighed down. As verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, there are hindrances, weights, entanglements, and sins that cling closely These things are related, but they're not necessarily the same thing. The hindrances aren't necessarily sinful things. And I would dare say that many of us are probably unaware of the fact that we have been trying to run a marathon with a radiator chained to our leg. There are hindrances that come with being fallen human beings regardless of the age we live in. And there are hindrances that are particular to our culture and our time in the world. And there are hindrances that are particular to each one of us. Many of us are hindered by things we don't recognize as hindrances. And we become so used to it as a body that we fail to call one another to lay aside the things that are hindering us. So you may not have a full-blown addiction. You may never have committed an act of domestic violence or stolen anything. But many of you are addicted to distraction. That little four-inch by two-inch glow stick that you keep in your pocket has made it so that you never have to be alone with your thoughts. You never have to bear the pain of existence. Even more than that, I think many of us are weighed down by wealth. We have been lulled into a false sense of security by our money. Or we've constructed our identity based on it. You're the kind of person who lives in XYZ neighborhood or wears those brand of jeans or has that style of furniture. And we may think that wealth is propping up our life, but it's highly likely that it's actually a cartoon piano with a rope tied to it that has been pushed off a cliff. And we are about to notice, perhaps a little too late, that the other end of that rope is tied to our leg.
You're weighed down. That metaphysical and mystical genius Jim Carrey once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see that it's not the answer. He talks about becoming a millionaire and achieving absolute star power. And it's like he gets to the top and there is nothing there. It's empty. You are in a race. And you are not alone. But you are weighed down. And you've got a founder and a finisher. This is the great paradox of the Christian life. You are in a marathon and it requires endurance. It requires desire and will and guts. But the marathon has already been run and won by Christ. Christ has attained the prize. As I've told you before, we must set out into Christ our ocean. We must not be content simply to look at the sun setting behind the water. We must begin the arduous climb up into Christ our mountain rather than be content hearing about it from other hikers. But here's the incredible part. Christ is not just the mountain. He is the pathway. Christ is not just the ocean. He is the boat. Christ is not just the destination. He is the journey. He is the oxygen flowing through the lungs of the church, the blood of the sacrament that animates our every movement. He is the prize that we all seek and the eyes by which we see it. He is the author of this race and your place in it, and he has already done all that is necessary to bring you to completion and perfection in him. You believe that? He's already done all of it. So stop playing. Stop staring down at the dirt and get your head stuck up in the clouds. You are surrounded by a great cloud of saints. Fix your eyes on Jesus like a man who is snatching you back from a ledge like a bride who is staring at her groom on her wedding day. Quit playing and be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Stand up and put on the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times. Keep alert. Forget the city of destruction that you have left behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, the city of God, Jesus Christ, your true home. Press on in all the striving that Christ himself strives in you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you will experience a joy that is literally from another dimension. Because Christ, your founder and finisher, your footpath and prize, endured the cross and subverted its shame because of a joy that existed on the other side of crucifixion. The joy of resurrection and ascension to his Father's right hand where he has been seated, is seated, and ever shall be seated, making intercession on our behalf. 
You were in a race. You're not alone. You're weighed down, but you have got a founder and finisher in Christ, and you are a child of God. So when you grow weary and faint-hearted, fix your eyes on Christ and consider him. Meditate on him. And all that he endured as the perfect lamb of God, his blood shed, his flesh ripped apart at the hands of sinners so that you might become the children of God. And endure hardship as discipline which only comes to legitimate children. Why? So that we may share in his holiness without which no one will see God. As we heard last week from the book of Hebrews, that great cloud of witnesses desired a better country, a heavenly one, one that is fixed and founded in the being of God himself. Therefore, we're told, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And that city is what the prophet Isaiah had in mind when he writes in chapter 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.